0: Let's open our Bibles to John 14 and then also to Revelation chapter uh, 22, the last chapter of the Bible, as we look at the question about what will heaven be like? And tonight we're going to look at several questions about heaven. We're going to ask, first of all, what's so wonderful about heaven? And then we're going to ask, who is in heaven? We're also going to ask the question, what will we be like in heaven? And then a question that many people ask, what will we be doing in heaven? So we're looking at four different questions as we look at two passages tonight. And, and, you know, some people might say, why talk about heaven? Because, you know, there's so much to talk about about what we should do here on earth and how we should be here on earth. And yet uh, the Bible has a lot to say to us about heaven. God gives us these little pictures. And often they're pictures that are in uh, symbolic form of what heaven is like. And he gives us lots of information, although he doesn't give us all the information about heaven. But uh, we're going to listen to what he says and see what we can learn tonight. First of all, in John 14, verses 1 through 6, listen to what Jesus says to his disciples. They know that he's about to leave them. And he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so... Would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and I will take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the place where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Then Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then let's turn to Revelation chapter 22, the very last of all the chapters in the Bible. And the heading that's in the Bible that I have here is Eden Restored. And I think it's a fitting uh, way to head it, even though that's not in the original uh, of the Bible. But it tells us about heaven. Eden restored. Listen to the beautiful picture here, and it's in word pictures. So often in Revelation, it's filled with pictures, verses 1 through 5 of Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Notice, it's clear as crystal. Down the middle of the great street of the city it flows. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life, Notice, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, For the Lord God will give them light. And notice, they will reign forever and ever. That's where we end the reading of God's inspired and his infallible word to us tonight as we look at what will heaven be like. You know, people wonder, why why will we have any kind of an interest in heaven when there's so much to talk about here on earth? But I think there are basically two reasons we want to look at what heaven is like. One is as we're going to see here in John chapter 14, because Jesus says it is our everlasting home. It's a place where we will go someday if we trust in Jesus. And so our interest is, is because we always want to know what our home is going to be like. When we move from place to place, we wonder, what will it be like? How will it be when I get there? I remember when we lived in Denver, Colorado, and my father told us that he accepted a call to Cicero, Illinois, we all wondered, what is it going to be like to live in Cicero, Illinois? We wanted some kind of a picture, something to hold on to. And that's true for us now as we hear that heaven is our perfect and everlasting home. But I think there's a second reason why we want to know about heaven, and that is because many of our loved ones have gone on to be in eternal life. And we wonder what it's like for them and as they're far from us now, in a sense, We wonder, what is heaven like for them? And so we look tonight at this important subject, and God doesn't tell us everything. In fact, the Bible says that we can't even imagine all the things that God has prepared for us. The Bible says no eye has seen it, no ear has heard, no one has even ever imagined all the things that God has prepared for us. But God has told us enough to give us an excitement about what heaven is. So we're going to look at four questions tonight. The first is, what is really so wonderful about heaven? What's so wonderful about this place? And in order to answer that question, what's so wonderful about heaven, I want you to just think for a moment of one of those times in your life where you felt so much joy that you could hardly contain the joy in yourself. Maybe it was at a time when you were younger, and maybe it was at a time when one of your children were born and you held them in your arms and you said, it doesn't get any better than this. This is one of the happiest days of my life. I'll never forget the joy of this day. And sometimes our hearts are just bursting with joy. I know when I was a boy, sometimes the exciting thing for us was to go to the lake. We always went to Big Star Lake in Michigan. And when we were there for the summer, it felt like to us as boys and one girl in our family, it felt something like the greatest of all the experiences of all the year. It was like a a special time when you're by the lake and you see these beautiful sunsets at night and you see the water and you go and you swim whenever you want to and it just seemed like it doesn't get any better than this. And so we have those moments in our life by the grace of God when we say this is This is one of the best times. And maybe for you, it was the day you got married and the day you said your vows to one another and you stood before the Lord and you turned around and you were husband and wife and you were going to go down that aisle together and you thought, there's no other day in my life like this one. I'll never forget that feeling of joy. Well, the Bible says that heaven's joy is 10,000 times greater than any joy on earth. It's a place where we are going to be filled with such joy that, as the catechism says, there's that blessedness that we have there to praise God eternally. We have just tastes of that, the catechism says here on earth, but then it will be a blessedness that we can't imagine. No eye has seen it, the catechism quotes, no ear has ever heard all these things. What's so special about heaven It's our home, our permanent home, according to Jesus in John chapter 14. We're not just going to visit heaven. We're not just going to see it and then we're going to have to leave, but it will be our permanent home. Jesus says, in my Father's house are many rooms, and if it were not so, I would have told you. But I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And then listen to what he says. And when I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back. I'm going to take you to be where I am. And so you will always be with the Lord. God tells us that it is our permanent home. We will never have to move again. We will be there permanently. And it will be our perfect home. It's beyond our imagination that it's a place where there is no curse anymore, we read in Revelation 22, where there's no pain where there's no struggle, there's no physical pain, there's no hatred, there's only the love and the joy of the Lord there. It's beyond our comprehension because we've never lived in a world like that. But the Bible says to us that you cannot even imagine how great it is. And I think of the pictures that are given in Revelation 21 of our permanent home. Uh, in Revelation 22 where we just read... Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, and it was as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God. Now, for most of us, that doesn't mean anything today because we say water clear as crystal, big deal. We have drinking water whenever we want it. We can drink clear, crystal clear water, and it's available to us. But we we don't really realize that when John said this and when this image was given to him by God, that the people in that day, they were always searching for water. Israel's in a place where it's a desert-like place. It's like Arizona. And they would plant their new homes and their new villages wherever there would be a spring, wherever there would be water. Some of you have been to Rehoboth, New Mexico, and you know that in Rehoboth, in the old days when I was a boy, we would visit Rehoboth, and there was water there. The Indians would come from long distances with their buckets and they would have this clear, crystal clear water to bring back to their hogans where they lived. Water is so precious. We need water to survive. We need it in order to live. We can't live without it. And so to think That in heaven, the water of life is crystal clear, flowing from the throne of God and never stops. It was a wonderful picture to those people of God providing for all of our needs in heaven. There's no struggle to have our needs met in heaven. And then it says here in Revelation 22 that on each side of the river of life stood the tree of life, bearing, notice, 12 crops of fruit. And notice what it says, yielding its fruit... Every month. Now that doesn't mean to us too much today. Because we say, well, big deal. They could have fruit in heaven every one of the 12 months. 12 different crops of food of fruit. Fruit coming from the trees. That's wonderful. But we can go to the store any day we want. And get fruit whatever we want. Strawberries, peaches. All year around we do that today. But do you know when we grew up, and some of us grew up in Cicero. I remember my mother would go to the national store on, on Roosevelt Road where my brother was a beggar. And uh, she would go and she would buy fruit in its season. And do you remember the time when you brought bought strawberries and blueberries in August? Maybe in July, in August, in early September, and then they were gone from the shelves. We used to go in the summertime to the Bilthus' farm's and we would have wonderful corn roasts there, and they would put them on the barbecue, and then we would dip them in uh, buckets of butter, and then we would eat them, and doesn't it make your mouth water now? But that we did only in July or August when the crop of sweet corn came, and then there was no more. Some of us remember the old days when there wasn't the crops in every season, and Truly in Bible times, they didn't have the supermarkets we have today that can just ship it in from all over the world. So listen to what it says. It's water clear as crystal. And there is that tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. There's no limit to God supplying every need we have just when we have it for all eternity is what it's telling us. And there's no curse, there's no struggle, there's no hardship, there's no pain, uh, there is no sin in heaven. Uh, All those things, guilt and shame and division, it's all wiped away and they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. And that's the other thing that's so fascinating is that in heaven, we will see God in all of his glory. You know, here on earth, people could never look into the face of God. Even Moses said to God one time, may I see you, God. And God said, I will turn and I will go from you. You can only see me from the backside. And you know what happened to Moses when he saw God and he came down from the Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments. His face shone, not from seeing all of the glory of God. He was just in the presence of God and his face shone so much that the people had to say, cover your face, it's too bright. But you see, in heaven, we're going to see him face to face, face to face with Christ my Savior, face to face, what will it be when in rapture I behold him far beyond the crystal sea? You see, it's a perfect place. It's our heavenly home, our permanent home. But then it's not an empty place, and that's the second question What's so wonderful? It's the perfect place. But what also, who's going to be there? What, what is the answer to that question? And I believe there's several parts to it. Of course, the first thing is, heaven is not just an empty, beautiful place. But the first thing that we'll see and we'll know is that God is there. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the triune God. Jesus said, "'In my Father's house are many mansions.'" our many rooms, and Jesus talks about it, and the Holy Spirit is there. The triune God is there, and we will look at him, and we will gaze at him, and we will praise him, and we will worship him, but we will see him face to face and tell the story saved by grace. But that's not all who is in heaven. The Bible also says that in addition to God, the triune God, there are also all the obedient angels are in heaven. You know, there are the disobedient ones that fell and followed Satan instead, and they are not in heaven. But when we get to heaven, and some people get this all mixed up, they say, well, yeah, my loved ones are there, and they're my angels in heaven. The Bible never says that. We don't turn into angels when we go to heaven. The angels are, are creatures that God has made to serve him and also to worship him but also to bring his messages to us the word angel means messengers and they are created beings that god has created to worship him and to praise him in a way that we can't do like they can and they can't do like we can the bible even says that the angels would long to know what our salvation is to experience that they have their place in heaven and we have our place in heaven but The amazing thing all through the Bible, especially the book of Revelation, tells us there are 10,000 times 10,000 angels in heaven, myriads, it says, and myriads of angels. Now, they don't all look alike. Sometimes they appeared on earth, and God can make them appear in any way he wants. Some of the angels, the Bible says in Isaiah, have six wings. Two they use to cover their faces before God. Two, they use to fly, and two, they cover their feet in the presence of God. But it doesn't say that every angel has wings, and sometimes angels appeared as people in this world. But you see, that's where we don't know all there is to know about heaven, but we do know that the Bible says that before the throne of God are the angels, and even uh, as John writes Revelation, he says, The angel has revealed this to me. So God gives his messages to us through the angels. But then there's a third group in heaven, not only God and not only the angels that are obedient here, but there's also the whole Old Testament church. All those people who have gone before us, who have worshiped God and look forward to the coming of the Messiah. Remember when Jesus was on the mountain of transfiguration in Matthew 17 and the disciples saw something of the glory of God just for a few moments. But then they saw Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus. Now Moses was still Moses. Elijah wasn't an angel, he was still Elijah. They came down from heaven to talk with Jesus. And and, Then the disciples would never forget as they went down from the mountaintop there into the valley of suffering, and they had gotten a glimpse of glory in a sense. The Old Testament church, all those people who have trusted in the promise of God and have been faithful to him, they're in heaven too. And then finally, I would say also, the Bible is so clear, all of the New Testament churches there, all believers in Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, Those who have been washed white in the purity of the blood of Jesus, they've been washed, they've been sanctified, and they're in heaven with the Lord. Forever, the Bible says, and ever and ever without any end. Now, some people say, well, we recognize each other in heaven. And I believe the Bible is so plain about this. I believe that in 1 Thessalonians 4, and sometime you should look up those verses, in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 to the end of the chapter, the question was asked to Paul, what happened to those who are asleep now, who have died? And Paul says, I can tell you this, that when Jesus comes back, he will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. I declare this, he says, by the word of God, that those who have fallen asleep, he will bring with him. But then it says that Jesus says, and we will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. So comfort one another with these words, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4. And so he's addressing that question. What what happened to those who have died? Will we ever see them again? People had all kinds of questions And Paul says, I want you not to grieve as others who have no hope, no hope in Jesus, the resurrected Lord, no hope that they will ever see their loved ones again. Because I declare this to you by the word of God, that we who are alive will be caught up together with them. That's part of our comfort. Of course, Jesus, the Lord God, the Father and the Holy Spirit, that will be our focus We will focus on praising him, but we will be caught up together with those who have gone before us. Now you say to me, how will I recognize them? Suppose you had lost a child when they were three months, four months old. Will you recognize them in heaven? Will they recognize you? And our tendency is to think, well, you know, how am I going to recognize? How would my mother recognize me when... I'll be maybe 70 or 80, and I don't want to look like this with all my wrinkles and with my bald head. I wish I was 22 when I'm in heaven. That'd be wonderful. How am I going to recognize others? How will they recognize me if they haven't seen me for 50, 60 years? You know what? We are going to be transformed, the Bible says. Our body won't look like this body. You know, that's hard for us to understand because in heaven, it's a new dimension. And in heaven, it's not with all the limitations here. And the Bible never says, you're going to look like you were 20, you were 10, you were 5, you were 33. Some people say because Jesus died at 33. The Bible never says that. The Bible says our bodies are sown in corruption. They will be raised in glory. They are sown in weakness. They will be raised in power. They are sown natural bodies. They will be raised spiritual bodies. God can do anything. And I believe that in heaven, in this new dimension, without any limits, God can cause the spirit of your baby to recognize your spirit in heaven. I don't know how he does that. I don't know how God does so much of what he does. So much of what God does is a mystery to us. But when Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, comfort one another with these words, we're going to be caught up together with them. But you see, our focus will be on Jesus. But we will be so happy that together God has given us that opportunity to live in glory with him, to be in our permanent and everlasting and perfect home. So the question comes then, well, what will we be like in heaven? There's two parts to that. We will have perfect souls, perfect souls. Here we struggle. Our souls and our hearts and who we are, the real you is within your body, but the real you struggles with temptation here. And we struggle with the effects of the curse and we struggle with pain and we struggle with our thoughts and we struggle with anger and we have all these things that limit our life. We are limited in time. We are limited in space. But in heaven, our souls are going to be made perfect in Jesus. The Bible says we will be like Jesus for we will see him as he is. We can't explain all of that, what that is. That's part of the mystery of heaven. God's plans are so much greater than we can even imagine. But we will have perfect souls. There will be no struggles there. Washed, pure. You know, heaven's a perfect place. And the only way you can enter into heaven is to be pure. Perfectly pure. And we are washed if we trust in the blood of Jesus that has been shed for all of our sins. Now, just think, though, of this part of it. The soul, the real you, you will always be you. You're not going to just be absorbed in this great beyond somehow. But you will still have your spot. Jesus says, I prepare a place for you. And your place is one that no one else can take. And you will still be you, just like Moses was Moses even after he had died, and then he appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration, and Elijah was still Elijah. And do you know that no one else in all of creation can ever give God the praise and the glory and the honor that you can, the unique way that God has made you. That's exciting. I remember when I was a boy, and my twin brother and I used to lay in bed at night. Sometimes we talk about that and talk about eternity and talk about how we're going to... We're going to exist forever and ever. And we'd scare each other so much we couldn't sleep that night. But I'm not scared of that anymore. I think it's amazing that God has created us so that each of us in our unique way can praise him and join the angels and join the saints. And we have our place. He's preparing it. Not a moment too soon, not a moment too late, but at exactly the time he has planned, he's going to take you home just when he knows, just when he has planned, even before you were born. The Bible says he knows the number of your days before there's even one of them. So we will have perfect souls. And of course, when Christ comes, we will have perfect bodies. The Bible says our bodies are now sowed in weakness, but they will be raised in power. They'll be changed. You know, it's just like when you take a seed, a little brown seed, And you plant it in the ground. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 15. And you plant it in the ground. And then it comes and it becomes a beautiful flower. It it looks totally different once it comes out. It doesn't look at all like that seed you planted. So it will be with us. Our bodies will be raised, the spiritual bodies. And we will be caught up uh, together uh, in the air to meet the Lord. And then one final question, and this is a good question because I think that many times our thoughts about heaven stop at the gate of heaven. We never think about, well, once we're really there and once we're in this perfect home, what are we going to be doing? What will we be doing in heaven? And the sad thing is that many people have the picture that what we're going to be doing is is kind of, and you've seen pictures of this, kind of lying up there in the clouds, strumming a harp. And you say, I don't like to play a harp. I don't know how to play a harp. That's not, that's not even a biblical concept. That That's all we're going to be doing in heaven. And, you know, sometimes we think, will it be boring? Because one of the things we're going to be doing in heaven is worshiping God. And for some kids especially, they think, well, is is heaven going to be like church? Because sometimes church is boring, And I don't want to be in a boring place forever. And they really mean it. Remember when I was a boy in Cicero, we'd count all those little things in the uh, organ uh, chambers up on both sides. You remember those, some of you. And you know, it was boring. You look at the colored glass windows on the side of Warren Park Church or Cicero 1 and count all the panes. We had to do something during church when we were kids. But we're not going to be bored at all. There's not going to be. Because worship in heaven is going to be so much different than worship on earth because it will be pure and from the heart and there'll be no limitations to it. We're going to be right in the very presence of God. And as we're there in heaven, our hearts are going to be so filled with joy that we will will praise him with all of our being the way that we sometimes long to on earth. You know, sometimes here on earth, we have those moments where worship is so So wonderful that we just are are, are just so filled with joy during worship. Sometimes it's during a song. Sometimes it's during a prayer. Sometimes it's during a message where we just feel so loving to God and so close to him. But then it passes. But in heaven, the worship is so pure and so wonderful that we will be among those who have gone before us and we will see God face to face and The Bible says it will be so glorious that we can't imagine how wonderful it will be. Nothing on earth will ever compare to it. But that's not all we're going to be doing. We're going to be praising God and worshiping and adoring him. But there's more to it according to the Bible. A second thing we're going to be doing is, I believe, exploring the new heaven and the new earth. Now think of that. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 22 that there'll be no need for any lamps. There's going to be no night. It'll never be dark. And it says, for the Lord God will give them light. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for God will give them light, it says in verse 5 of Revelation 22. Now, what is light used for? Well, it's not just a nice thing to light up a place. It's there for a purpose. And often we need light to explore different things. In darkness, you can't explore. There'll be no night there, so that for all eternity, I believe, and this is so exciting, we're going to be exploring more and more of who God is. Because remember, God is infinite. We are finite. We are limited. But in heaven, God will still be infinite. We will still be finite. But there's no end to God and to what. We can learn about him through all eternity. So when you get to the gates of heaven, you don't stop learning about God. You don't stop exploring, but he'll give us that opportunity to be in a place that is like paradise restored, where we will see the new heaven and the new earth. And I believe there'll be no separation between them, but we're going to explore, and God will use each of us in our own unique way to be able to learn more. And I believe that as God is such a creative God and he's created so much and he loves to create, he created the whole universe. The Bible never says he stops creating and that's it. He will continue to be the creative God that he is. He loves to create. And we will learn more and more and more and never end in our learning about how great God is and the greatness of his creation, the new heavens and the new earth. It's exciting because we will not be bored in heaven. We'll be worshiping him. We'll be exploring. And then the third and final thing we're going to be doing in heaven, and it's in verse 5 of Revelation 22, we will be reigning with him forever and ever, the Bible says. Reigning with him. Now you think about that. That's what God intended in paradise. God said to Adam and Eve, take care of my world. Adam named the animals. God gave them the dominion over the whole creation. Uh, But then there was the fall into sin, and that all changed the way that we react. And so often we don't do what God wants. But in heaven, we are going to be reigning over the new heaven and the new earth. We aren't going to be angels. We'll be in a special place above them, reigning with Christ, because we are part of the family of God. And we will reign with him, the Bible says, forever and ever without end. Jesus once said, you know, you have been faithful, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler, reign with me over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. That's what he promises us. Now, somebody might say, Why did God give us this glimpse of heaven? These little pictures of heaven, these little glimpses. And of course, one of the reasons is to make sure that we know that we need to prepare to go there. Jesus said, I am the way. We read it earlier in John 14. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so Jesus wants us to know to get to heaven You must trust in Jesus to be assured. I've talked to people and I've said, are you ready to die? Are you ready? Do you feel sure? And sometimes they say, well, I hope so. But we can have an assurance more than just, well, I hope so. We can have that assurance by the grace of God that Jesus says to us, nothing can separate us from the love of God. No one can snatch us out of his hands when we trust in him as our Lord and Savior. And it's only because of the blood of Jesus, not because of anything we've done, not because we're better than anyone else, but by his grace, he gives us that assurance of a place in heaven. So one of the reasons, he tells us, is for us to prepare. But the second reason is that we might show others what they may have in Jesus Christ too. We may show them the way and the truth and the life in Jesus. There's a sad but a true story about a woman who was in the hospital and she was a Christian and she was very tired after an operation. She was very weak and she was in one hospital bed. But the lady by the window was also her roommate in the hospital. In those days, they had two people in each room. And when this other, the first lady, the Christian lady, She was trying to fall asleep, and it was dark in the room, but she heard the voice of the other lady, quite weak. And that lady said this question. She said, where does the soul go after you die? And the first lady, the Christian lady, was so tired that night, and she decided just to lay real quiet like she hadn't heard that. And she would tell the lady in the morning. But then she heard that voice again, and the voice said, where does the soul go after you die? And Again, the first lady, sadly, the Christian lady, just decided, I'm just going to pretend like I didn't hear her. And she heard it one more time. It was even weaker, but she pretended she didn't hear three times, and then she went to sleep, the Christian lady. She slept soundly that night. And she woke up in the morning, and the sun had come up, and It was bright in the room, she looked over to that other bed and it was empty because the other lady had died during the night, never having her question answered. Where does the soul go after you die? God gives us opportunities. That's why he tells us about this so that we can tell others about Jesus, the way and the truth and the life. And he wants us to show them he wants us to let them know that the day will come when those who love the Lord Jesus, we can be sure we'll go to heaven to be with him because of the blood of Jesus. Reverend Van Houten was in our church in Orland Park for the last years of his life when I was pastor, first at Orland Park, Twenty now it's 29 years ago. and I remember with his prayers that Reverend Van Houten would often end his prayers with the words, Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And we have to be ready to say that. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. We're ready to go. I hope you're ready to go to be in your eternal home.